Welcome back to the Platform Choir. How does it feel being on camera? (laughs) If, by chance, a sermon on Isaiah puts you to sleep, just remember there's a permanent record of that event on the internet for all time. Just a thought. Just a thought. The Lord be with you. I'm sure you've heard it plenty. It's baked right into the granola of well-worn liturgies on so many Sundays. It's the bits where the song or the scripture or the sermon or the outreach update or the confession or the litany or even the children's blessing or the sending. Maybe I'm missing something, but at least one of those things at some point in the service will subtly or deliberately ask you, so what are you going to do now? This is the nudge. Sometimes it's a push. It's the way of challenging. We preachers say motivating, inspiring. We want a congregation to go out into the world in action. And it's a fair question. Is your life of faith, is my life of faith being shared Is it being lived? Are we following Jesus in action and service to the world? The thing is, even if by some incredible coincidence we don't manage to squeeze a nudging moment into any part of the liturgy, if you check on your order of service, it'll be there week after week, right after the congregational amen. The service of the church into the world begins again. We are indeed a sent people, and each Sunday we are again appointed as agents of hope and peace and joy in a world of crushing despair and strife and grief. What a world we are sent out into each each week. What an audacious thing we preachers and liturgists do each week. In these past weeks, we've made our way towards some New Testament content. We even gave you a little taste with that real juicy passage that Don got to read with all of those semi-pronounceable names. We're trying to get our way to Jesus, but we're spending some time with prophets like Amos and Jeremiah and Isaiah. These were fervent voices of the social justice poets calling out hypocrisy and complacency. The holy visions that they shared, the prophetic speeches, remind us that true religion looks like the nurture of fairness in the places that we live. It looks like the cultivation of peace and well-being. It looks like simple, holy work, Thank God for the prophets who give us clarity and conviction and sometimes even a holy rebuke. A voice that calls us back from the edge of the void. And yet I'm here today to say that we are really missing the point if this is all we take away from the prophets. Because couched in the hard words of those cranky old visionaries, we also find the seeds of grace and mercy. After the long passages of scolding and frustration, 
pages of wrath and judgment, the true prophet offers words of comfort. And to be clear, these words of comfort are just as important as the scolding, sending parts. This is vital stuff, friends. Back in my house, I have some really nice noise-canceling headphones that I wear around the house a lot. And believe me when I say that they were especially helpful during those months where we were cooped up in the isolation times. Let me tell you, this is one product that absolutely delivers on the promise because they really cancel out the noise. This technology affords you a sort of soundless realm of headspace that you can almost touch and feel. It lets you ensconce yourself away from the noises and cares of the world. And apart from the fact that they make it super easy for Buffy to sneak up and scare me witless, these headphones have also gotten me into some trouble, or very nearly, a few times. Like this one morning when I was about to drive away in my car and I realized I was still wearing these headphones and I said to myself, oh, Jeremy, you silly goose, you're still wearing those headphones. And I thought, well, maybe I'll take them back inside to make sure they stay charged. Which was a good move because just so happened that when I went back into the house and put the headphones away, I could clearly hear the unmistakable bubbling sound of the kitchen sink running full blast with the drain plugged. Our whole household was moments and inches away from a catastrophic flood situation because no one was coming home for at least another eight hours. For good reason. Many of us have had to learn to tune out voices of discouragement and unkindness in our lives. This is a lifelong effort, isn't it? These voices are persistent. They stick with us. Maybe it was your counselor or your mentor who helped you practice this. Maybe it was that workshop that you attended on healthy boundaries Sometimes we need a friend to say the precious words to us. It's not your fault. We've got this. I appreciate you. Regrettably, though, for many of us, some of the voices of discouragement and shame are actually artifacts from our religious history. Burning sermons or lessons, unkind applications of scripture, excerpts of prophetic wrath and scolding, religion as a relentless work project that becomes discouragement and a genuine theological crisis. What a gift then that the prophets present us with such a different view of the world. As Peterson puts it, the words of the prophets penetrate the illusions with which we cocoon ourselves from reality. As much as the prophets might speak to the pressing realities of a complicated life, and wow, to be honest, sometimes it's a lot. But the persistent, tenacious assurance 
of a loving God is the critical piece of the prophet's message. It's the backbone of the effort. What a tragedy if this isn't reflected in our worship and our reading. I'm so grateful for the many voices in this community who help guide our worship with such care and balance and thoughtfulness. If we cannot hear the words of comfort and mercy in the scriptures, what then is the substance of our faith? Isaiah is a prophetic book for a complicated and troubling time. If you read through the many chapters, you'll certainly find the harsh sections of judgment and disapproval. The withering words of the prophet are there. Pronouncements of judgment that would finally take the form of invading armies. And with horror, God's people are defeated. The holy city is destroyed and its survivors are carried away to a foreign city as captives. This is a humiliation that would last for around 70 years. And so, at chapter 40, the book of Isaiah takes a really dramatic turn, forming what is sometimes called the book of comfort. These are words of hope and mercy for a heartbroken people. And with tenderness and imagination, The poetry of the Book of Comfort speaks to the captives in Babylon. It speaks to an alienated and heartbroken people everywhere, actually. Our reading today from Isaiah 55 rounds things out with the promises of comfort and care for a people returning to rebuild the rubble of a broken city. What a task lay before them. In that desolate desolated space, the invitation to join a nourishing feast is the substance of our text today. And make no mistake, this isn't just some sort of rudimentary ancient grocery list. This is the description of celebratory food in the ancient world. Bread and wine and milk for thin and weary bones. Thirst-quenching water for parched throats. Not that long ago, at my most recent checkup with my family doctor, he mentioned that I may have gained a few pounds or so in the last year. And I muttered something hasty about sitting at home and making a lot of pieces. I made a lot of pieces. And he said, oh, that's all right. I call it revenge eating. A lot of us are doing that right now. I don't know if I would call it revenge eating. Maybe my doctor does have a point. But our frustrations have often been spelled out in bites and gulps, haven't they? But many of us have indeed been looking for moments of comfort in our comfort foods, haven't we? The family-sized bag of Cool Ranch Doritos, all for you. Crackling loaves of sourdough with salty butter. Crisp grilled cheese sandwiches dipped in tomato soup. Greasy cheeseburger, crackers and cheese, macaroni and cheese, maybe just a big chunk of cheese. 
and wine. Let's not forget the wine. And yes, pizzas, too much takeout. Definitely too much takeout. Unless, of course, you're supporting, supporting local. Hey, we've got this, support local. And no, it hasn't been 70 years. It hasn't even been 70 months. But even now, most of us understand well enough the offerings of comfort foods for distressed people. Little self-administered mercies speak of our heart's desires. Whatever, whenever, the shape of our distress, the God we meet in Isaiah speaks of a day when people with overflowing hearts and full bellies will go out with joy and peace. All of nature rejoices in evening. Trees and mountains in song. This is God's dream for the world. This is comfort for distressed people. Year after year, Advent is a season of waiting. Waiting as we watch some of our best efforts end in complete disappointment. Waiting as global forces beyond our control continue to frustrate and displace and infuriate and annoy and bewilder us. Waiting even as we rise each morning in our care for our little part of the world without knowing what any day ahead of us will hold. Friends, in these days of intentional waiting, let this be an encouragement. Accept the invitation. Lean in. Press in to the comfort passages of Advent. Be attentive to the warm voice of the prophets. May these words of hope and gospel comfort form the starch and substance of our worship, our work, and our life together. As together we celebrate the God of abundant mercy, who has great and delicious plans for this world. Amen. Thanks be to God.